listening to the Wellington Hustle Interview Project, showcasing Wellington's entrepreneurs, sharing their experiences to inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Thank you for joining me. I'm Tim Morrison. Hey there, it's July 2020, and welcome back to another episode of the Wellington Hustle Interview Project. Today's interview is with Corrine Stroschnetter. Corrine is in the business of bringing the practice of mindfulness to corporate leadership, making the inwards cool. Corrine's career spans being a registered nurse, teacher, coach, consultant, and now business owner. Her company, Mindful at Work, helps change the way people think and behave in business, or as Corrine likes to put it, stopping people from being such souls in the workplace. Now sit back and listen to this interview with Corrine Stroschnetter. Corrine Stroschnetter, welcome to the Wellington Hustle Interview Project and thank you so much for uh, taking the time to sit down with me and share your journey, whatever that journey may be, entrepreneurial or business or life or what have you. Probably all of the above. All of the above, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To start the ball off rolling, if I could get you just to uh, introduce yourself and a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah. So, uh, Karine Stroschnitter and I run a business called Mindful at Work. That's about actually changing the way people think and behave in business, really. And, and that sounds a bit dull. And people usually, their ears prick up when I say I want to stop people being such assholes in the workplace. My background is probably, you kind of say that it's always been in the helping kind of professions, you know. First, as a registered nurse, which I loved, best career ever. Um, then as a teacher and then as a coach and then as a consultant and then running my own business and um, bringing mindfulness into kind of medium, small and large organisations, explaining to people what that is because it it's kind of has a really bad rap. <laughs> Meditation and mindfulness. So I often say, you know, my my job is really to make the inwards cool. What was your vision when you first started? I didn't have any real clear vision about that. I don't believe in really clear visions, actually. Were you yeah. coaching in your own business before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and through enduring. So yeah. blending both of those worlds. But moving to Wellington, I moved into the private sector into the corporate world which was fascinating oh my god i loved it it was so much fun and so super cool (laughs) (laughs) and so different from working in health and education in in the um public sector for so long i've loved every career that i've ever had but i've always been um since i put my own self through hell (laughs) <laughs> and made a few fairly significant faux pas in my own life, particularly in my personal life, um, I dug myself out of that hole through mindfulness. But I came at mindfulness through the neuroscience because I have a medical background. So anything woo-woo is immediately going to annoy me. So uh, when I was training as a coach, the neuroscience was just hitting and um, we were beginning to understand how we create our own reality. So if you, if you like, the neuroscience has blended these old age philosophical wisdoms and practices with what the science can actually now prove. So I cut a long story short, I started meditating every day and following a guy called um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who was heavy into the science and um, yeah, I just I just absolutely loved it, and I saw it as transformative in, in my own life. 
uh, and and then I saw that wow, um, if I could get the people I'm coaching to be practicing mindfulness and meditation, then I wouldn't have to be working with such messed up people, <laughs> which sounds very selfish, but like people would come in, they'd sit on the couch, they'd talk to me and they'd spew out, vomit out these awful circumstances. And they'd tell me all the reasons why, which were usually probably not the reasons why. It's a little bit rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> and all the things they think I should coach them to do, which was going to fix it all. And I thought, well, if we don't actually have a look at the stuff underneath that that's creating this, we're just probably going to be straightening deck chairs on the Titanic here, you know, and you're going to head off and you're going to do it all, all over again. So, um, so I started refusing to coach people unless they start practicing mindfulness. So it's like, go away, do this for a month and then come back and we'll start talking. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was a bit like that. But how it was, was I'd, I'd written this program for corporates. I basically put individual people through the program as I was coaching them at the same time. And yeah, it was, was fascinating what was, what was achieved. But I, I have an interesting hook to this story is that um, there is a, a, a particular therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is basically mindfulness with legs. It's like, it's like how to coach people using mindfulness. I had no idea that this existed. A friend of mine a couple of years ago, the wonderful Sam Hanna, uh, had just been to do this training and she talked to me about it. And usually if people talk to me about something um, and I know and love them, I'll go and do it. But I didn't. I didn't pursue app. I'm currently writing programs for a global app called Awakened Mind. I've just written a mental health program. We're in the middle of it. And uh, the guy I'm working with, Michael Bunting, said to me, and I've been talking to this guy, and he's an expert on ACT, and we need to use ACT. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know anything about ACT. So I had to research the bejesus out of ACT, if you like. What was and, that? Uh, and what does that stand for? Acceptance and Commitment oh, okay. Therapy. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, oh my God, this <laughs> is mindfulness kind of therapy. It's using mindfulness to get really clear about what really matters and to understand how you're getting in your own way of creating what you want in your life. Anyway, so that was, that's been quite a big eye-opener for me at, at the moment. I've never been interested in teaching people mindfulness and meditation so that they can be better meditators. You know, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people knowing themselves, knowing what matters and having the skill, having the tools to be able to get out of their own way and create the kind of life they really want. Um, and that's not a perfect life. But I tell you what, it's much better than living, sleepwalking through life. So now you're bringing that into um, the corporate world or as a keynote speaker and things and how, how did that sort of come about? Well, it, it came about through through me. What not, kind of reaction do you get for, when, oh, yeah. when you go into like a workshop yeah. for, uh, of uh, you know, corporate leaders? And it's like, okay, now we're going to learn this. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, mindfulness by stealth means you go in with people's pain. Yeah. People are suffering. Mm. They're really suffering. And I guess I tend to work with people who are successful in suffering. Yeah. Yeah. 
So these are high-functioning people and they're trying to juggle a hell of a lot. Their lives are incredibly busy. They're constantly distracted by technology, overwhelmed. You know, they're just busy, which is where the book Crazy Busy came from. So people can really relate to the impact that their successful lives are actually having on themselves and the people they love most. So I kind of come at it from from that perspective. If anything, it's more around combining mindfulness with leadership coaching. Yeah. yeah. And and once people get a taste of it, if people are up for, for doing it, yeah. then um, that's great. But it's not just about meditating. It's about changing behavior. And we're not built for it as human beings. <laughs> we don't. Change? We don't need change. No, we don't like We don't like it. So I, was, I was just, you know, we're, we're designed to be um, risk-focused, always on the lookout for risks, so highly distractible, hypervigilant minds, you know, which really make us suffer, really designed for suffering, really, to live as long as we possibly can but not have a good time, and for connection. You know, what people think of us is so important. And if if you look evolutionary-wise, there's good reasons for that. Um, Anything that was dangerous killed you, you're gone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, better, better to focus on things that are a risk than things that are pleasurable. If you are removed from your tribe, you're dead. Yes. So, you know, get a performance review. There are 29 things that you're exceeding expectations and one thing unmet, which one do you focus on? Unmet, which one wakes you at 3 a.m. and you're worried about you're going to lose your job, you won't be able to pay the mortgage, you know, your, your partner's going to divorce you, the kids can't go to their great school. You know, it's where our minds go. So we're really programmed to be miserable. Mindfulness is a practice to, to rebalance the score, if you like, and to start actually tuning into life, not living so much in our heads and actually stopping to smell the roses. You have no way of actually observing your thoughts. You will just become them. And it's not pretty up there. You know, what we know is that we are left to our own devices. We do not sit and think about how gorgeous, brilliant and talented we are. We think about what's wrong with us, our faults, what we might possibly be a risk, what could possibly disconnect us from people. That's what we focus on because our brain is there to keep us safe and connected. And how do you notice the uh, um, more acceptance towards that sort of way of thinking? Yeah, yeah. I mean, things were going really well until COVID. <laughs> before COVID. <laughs> B- BC, yeah. before COVID. Yeah. In fact, one of the funniest things that happened was we were kind of a few weeks into lockdown before I realised, oh, hang on, I've just launched a book. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. It's, in the, it's with a distributor. Oops, there's no shops for it to be, you know, the distributor can't do anything with this book. Took me a few weeks to, to realise that. I was like, mm, okay, not much I can do about no, that. exactly. No. How did you deal with any early setbacks? Yeah, good question. There have been quite a few setbacks, so I was thinking about this, but my philosophy has always been just keep in action, keep moving forward. Um, keep keep getting good advice from people you trust, um, but don't sit and ruminate and spin your wheels because your mind will do you in. <laughs> we were just talking about that before. Mm. Um, and if anything, this practice makes me really well aware of when I'm ruminating, when I'm 
getting anxious, when I'm seeing risks that probably don't exist or I'm escalating those risks. So I'm really in the business of managing my own mind. So when I've experienced setbacks, I use my practice to help me. Now, it doesn't make everything turn out perfect, but it certainly stops me from going on that downhill spiral into analysis paralysis, you know, where you just can't do anything. Um, yeah, yeah, that's how I manage setbacks. Do you have, a, like, an example that you could share or something? Not really. Yeah. What's a um, warning sign that, uh, that pops up for you sometimes when a setback is on its way or something, you know, when things are starting to get hard or whatever? I, I think I just tend to get more lost in my own mind. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. For example, if I'm, if I'm doing a speaking event, let's just say I'm going to talk to, I don't know, 100 accountants, your mind can spiral out of control. Um, so I've found that managing your mind is really important, but it's also about getting yourself into that peak performance state. It's also about instead of doing the, oh, my God, I have to go over this presentation one more time, what else could I put in, da 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 it's actually about just making sure that you're in tip-top form, you know, that you're med- – for me, and this is going to sound so saintly, and anybody that knows me well knows I am not saintly, but I, I meditate every day. I practice yoga, walk, or go to the gym every day. I eat really well. Since doing that Blessed Sleep program, I know all the things I need to do differently. I'm now sleeping about 10 hours a night. You know, that's unheard of. I sleep really well. And when I'm in top form – When I walk into whatever I'm going to deliver and I'm confident and I'm happy and I'm energized, of course it will go well. You know, I know my stuff. If I find myself, you know, trying to have to read another book or, you know, go over that or put another point in, that's a warning to me to just stop, Mm -hmm. stop, pause, breathe, be present, connect. You know, my best... Best um, things tend to occur when I'm really connected with myself and really connected with whoever is in front of me. And that's kind of mindfulness 101, really. Yeah, right. And so when you're preparing, say, for your keynote, what's your, what, what do you do to, um, to make sure that you're in tip-top? Well, tip I, yeah. I do all of those things, but I'm, I really want to... Um, do you have a, like a, I don't know... A routine, a, little, a routine that you do, what, you know, you know, you've got your big keynote. Do you have a routine that you get yourself revved up for it, or is it more? Yeah, a, it's more of a, a slow burn. It's just what you're doing every day. Is that what helps with the? Well, I notice the anxiety. Mm. I mean, if you don't experience anxiety, particularly before a big speaking event, there's probably something wrong with you. <laughs> so you know, and just um, relabeling that anxiety as okay, excitement. This is here to help me. How can I use it positively instead of how can, how can I let this choke me and paralyze me and, and stop me? So um, what I have to say is often quite provocative, but I've only ever had one negative response. I remember talking to about 100 people from a particular bank, I won't name the bank, and the feedback was like 98% positive. Now, these were really analytical IT people in this particular bank. And, and I kind of, I, I get quite pumped when, when people like that get excited about it because 
So getting yourself into condition is yeah. really important, you know, like self-care, which is kind of the opposite to what we're often taught to do. Yeah. And people can see that as incredibly selfish. But um, when you're in top, when you're in top form, when you're really well, um, it just tends to spill over. Was there a time that you wanted to give up? No. I was thinking about that question. Mm. There's never been a time. I mean, I've had low moments, yeah. but there's never been a, a time where I've wanted to give up. Yeah. No, never. That's easy. Were there any traps that you've, you've, you've fallen into? Mm. Name a good one. A juicy yeah. one. And how you got out. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think self-doubt is mm. always going to be the one, you know. And um, as I said before, my job is really knowing how to deal with self-doubt. Now, that, that doesn't mean positive thinking. <laughs> it doesn't mean, you know, uh, these people who go, I am confident, you know, do the affirmations like, oh, bullshit, you know. If you don't believe it, if you don't really feel it, it's not going to make any, any difference. But we all experience um, self-doubt. And I, as I said to you before, I, I struggle to promote myself. As an Australian, you know, there, there's, there was something culturally, it was just cringe. You know, you don't talk yourself up. So, and yet I'm kind of selling myself. So there's a real tension, tension there. And, and I still, I still do kind of struggle with that. I know a lot of really cool, famous people. But it makes my skin crawl to name drop. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah, I just, um, self-doubt. It's innate in all of us. We all run a different script of what we're not good enough. It's constant. And it's just about seeing it and um, letting it sit there and choosing differently. Telling the, um, the inner critic to go and... Uh... <laughs> Off you go. Well, it's um, it's an interesting thing because, you know, a lot of us think if only I could get rid of that voice. A lot of us aren't even aware we've got the voice. Then we're really screwed. <laughs> you don't have awareness and mindfulness is all about awareness. You don't have awareness. You're just at its mercy, you know. Um, but when you see it, and you think, oh, I've, I've got to get rid of that. To be successful, I've got to get rid of it. Or oh, you're screwed again. <laughs> because, that bad luck. <laughs> yeah, tough, tough. Because you cannot get rid of it. It's there for a reason. It's there to keep you safe, you know. You've just got to get some perspective on it. You've just got to actually um, let it be there and choose differently. But definitely don't try and get rid of it. Mm. It'll just grow. Yeah. And so would you, um, I guess, work on your current state of mind to help quieten that mind? or No, I just notice it when I it just crops up. It. Yeah. Just notice it and yeah. go, oh, there you are again. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have, have a look at it. Have a laugh at it. You know, Um I think one of the biggest levelers for me is I've coached so many people and it doesn't matter how beautiful they are, how wealthy they are, how successful, how many doctorates they've got, they all have that voice. Everybody, absolutely 
everybody. It's just part of the human condition. Yeah. Uh, what inspires and motivates you? I mean, this really made me think this question, and it is my friends. You know, I, I surround myself with what I consider brilliant people. Um, now, what I consider brilliant people is kind of a combination of two things. Mm. I like really smart people. I'm not talking IQ so much here. It's more EQ than anything. Um, kind, smart and kind people, because it's an incredibly brave person who can be kind yeah. and generous. Yeah. Um, so I just have great friends and um, they inspire me. You know, I, it sounds a bit naff, but that's pretty much it. And the resource that I love is a book um, that's called Women Who Run With The Wolves uh, by Clarissa Pincola Estes. Yep. Um, and when I first came across this book, it was in a woman's, woman's book club. Oh, my God. And um, anyway, I tried to read the book and I got about first three pages and I thought, well, what a crap, you know, and dense, difficult, threw it, didn't read it. Uh, went to the book club and all these women were raving about it, so I thought I'd better go back and read it. I've probably read it 30 times and it's a big book. Mm. Um, somebody, one of my men friends asked me if it was a feminist book and I said, no, it's not a feminist book so much, even though the title is Women Who Run With The Wolves. It kind of has a femi feminist intent, if you like. Um, it's, it's really about, I think as women, and certainly I know I have this, I have this really strong resistance to being tamed, yep. to being put in my place, <laughs> to being, you know, and yeah, it's just, it's kind of just who I am, but I, I love that resource and I would recommend it and I would say to anybody who wants to read it, be prepared to be challenged, but there is gold in there. Like the woman who wrote it, English is not her first language. So um, I think that the way she writes can be challenging. But yeah, I, lo I love that book. And my sons, I have two adult sons. And uh, they used to say to me when they were teenagers, you know, if I was dealing with anything, they'd look at me and say, oh, yeah, but... You run with the wolves, don't you, Mum? <laughs> was there a subtle dig at me? But it's a beautiful book. Beautiful book. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you describe a breakthrough that you're proud of? Ooh, a breakthrough. Mm. What did I put down there? Oh, yeah. My, my biggest breakthrough was really when I realised that I was not listening to my own inner voice my own inner knowing, my own gut instinct, whatever you want to call it. And it, it came when I was um, flying out to Western Australia and I was had hours in the Auckland airport and I stumbled upon the book Eat, Pray, Love and I was determined not to read that book because I thought it was soppy, chip stuff, you know. But I was really bored and I, <laughs> and I opened it up and inside the front cover I don't know what it's called but it says tell the truth tell the truth tell the truth and I had this whack kind of like this whack in my mind that said to yourself to yourself to yourself and and what I got in that moment was that I had been lying to myself I had not been listening to to my own heart if you like and um, that had got me into a 
hell of a big problem, which was the reason I was escaping to Western Australia on a plane. <laughs> um, and, uh, that sounds an interesting story. Oh, it is a good, <laughs> yes, a good story. <laughs> so I, you know, that was, I just started meditating really not that long before that. And um, a big part of that is really tuning into your own inner knowing so that you can choose more wisely in the future. So, yeah, that was that was my biggest lesson of which I created yeah. my own misery. I call it my bathroom floor moment um, <laughs> in, the, in my book because um, in the book Eat, Pray, Love, or if you've seen the movie, she has a moment where life brings her to her knees and she's crying her eyes out on the bathroom floor. So this was my bathroom yeah. floor moment in life. And, yeah. Tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth to yourself, to yourself, to yourself. What was your biggest lesson that you've learned over your time? Yeah, that one, I think. Because if, you, if you're not telling the truth to yourself, it's impossible to tell the truth to anybody else. Because mm. you know? you're, just, you're just falling yourself. So has your vision always been clear and how has it evolved? No, it's never been clear. Uh, good. good. <laughs> and I, I don't think it has to be. I think you're fooling yourself. With, I think there's occasionally there's a few people who have very clear vision and they absolutely stick to it. You know? I think more of us just stumble our way through the dark and um, look for signposts along the way. So that's, that's really what I've done. I have a, a clear sense of purpose, but not really a clear vision. But I think if you do listen to your own heart, and what people need and you take great advice, you'll, you'll find your way yeah. and just be prepared. You know, it's, it sounds like such a cliche, but um, be prepared to screw up regularly. Learn from it. Oh, my sense of purpose hasn't really changed. Oh, okay. it's, it's kind of always been about making a difference, having fun and making some money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Surviving and having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have my younger son is a really interesting young man. Both my sons are interesting young men. But one of the things I really love about Scott is he has, a, has an attitude in life, if it's not fun, I'm not doing it. That doesn't mean that everything is all wonderful for him it just means that he really seriously thinks about what he's going to do with his life and is he going is it enjoyable and if it's not enjoyable he gets off pretty quickly i think that makes yeah. good sense to me i think it's very very wise yeah right if it's not working then stop doing it yeah yeah if it's not working for you mm. what would you do differently if you had to start all over again wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Reset. <laughs> Control all things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, what I actually wrote down in my notes to trigger my brain to remember was that I would listen to my own gut, my own, that's what I would do. But in saying that, the thought just popped into my mind is that I didn't have the skills to do that. And the reason that I didn't have the skills to do that has a lot to do with my upbringing. I'm not blaming other people, but it was just like what actually happened to me in my, in my life actually um, put kind of like a big chasm between me and my emotions, my, my inner knowing, if you like. If I, if I had have had that perfect upbringing where I was taught how to actually tap into that and not just taught but given permission to tap into it saw it as really useful 
even knew it existed, then I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing today because I'm incredibly imperfect. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's one of the, the huge things is just seeing your own ridiculousness. I've talked about this quite a lot, you know. If you've got that inner critic thing going on like we all do, is, you know, just having a laugh at yourself sometimes in the amazing ways that you have screwed up. You know, my father taught me to see humour in everything. Um, very um, irreverent. irreverent. Yeah, very irreverent. I've always been very... For people that are interested in making contact with you or learning more about you and what you do, yeah, where yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So um, they can go to my website, yeah. uh, mindfulatwork.co.nz or they can follow me on Insta mindful underscore at underscore work or just Karen Stroschner on Facebook uh, or find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And you got a book? Oh, yeah. My book. <laughs> Crazy busy. Tagline, if busy is the new stupid, then mindful is the new smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is actually uh, a program built into the book. It tells my messy backstory. Uh, about how I came to these practices in more detail, <laughs> uh, which is really hard to do. It is really hard to put your messy self out there, I tell you. It doesn't sit comfortably with me. It's on par with bragging with you, about yourself. So the <laughs> other end of that is um, showing all... Showing the dirt. Showing the dirt. Oh, God, because it's not pretty. Um, and it has a program... A whole program which is also an app um, that people can can actually use to take themselves through but i i will be offering that program um, to people virtually and uh, my beautiful friend shirley mcleod from yoga with me we also run um, retreats i hate that word kind of like a non-retreat um, for crazy busy but successful people who actually want to bring these practices into their lives and to create that life that has them jumping out of bed of a morning and perhaps learn some yoga and... Where do you go for the retreat? Where's the retreat? Um, we are heading off to Torah in September. Uh, there's a beautiful place in Torah that we use, although I am um, looking at running some in Bali as, as well. So, yeah, so those, those things are all on the website, all that information. Um, so if you want to get me in to speak, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to the website and book now. <laughs> um, I, I think also that I, I really do need to say that the, the work that I'm doing with Michael Bunting with the Awakened App Mind, because like, it's like, do you want to play small or do you want to pay big? Now, um, I have my own app programs, books, whatever, but like Michael's just the bomb. I love him. I absolutely love him. I love his work. And Michael and I both work in that corporate world, bringing, bringing mindfulness in so that we're actually about making work great, you know, and improving cultures, transforming cultures and all that kind of stuff which sounds a bit soft and woo-woo, but it's actually very pragmatic. Um, his app, Awakened Mind, that we're creating all these programs for, um, you know, if anybody wants to talk to me about that, because these are, these are licensed apps that, yeah. that companies 
um, use for their people. But there's a lot of programs that are um, particularly aimed at the modern workplace. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, stress, sleep, focus, all that kind of stuff, which I absolutely love and adore. Yeah, I love doing that work. Well, thank you very much for thank you, Tim. taking part in the project. Very, very, very much appreciated. Oh, very welcome. Thank you. Hey, Kareen. Thanks again so much for sharing your story with the Wellington Hustle community. My takeaway from your interview is that I need to be more diligent about looking after my mind. I have been a meditator in the past, but it's something that seems to have slipped by the wayside. I think it's time for me to start meditating in the car for those 10 minutes waiting for my girls to get out of school. For you, the listeners, what have you taken away from Kareen's interview? Please share with me in the comments of Kareen's post on the Wellington Hustle website. I'll be adding links here for all the resources mentioned in the interview. We'll also be able to find Kareen's contact details if you really want to reach out and continue the conversation. And you'll find a link to her book here also. Just head over to the website, that's wellingtonhustle.co, and you'll find Kareen there. If you have enjoyed these interviews, then please spread the word, share with your friends, or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you should choose. This will really help the Wellington Hustle interview project be found by others. If you're interested in being interviewed for the project, or you have somebody in mind that would be a great fit, then please, please, please send me an email on tim at timson.co, or head to the Timson Co. website, click on the Wellington Hustle link from the menu, and choose Join Wellington Hustle from the drop-down. Thanks so much again for listening, and until next time, keep on hustling. I have been a meditator in the past, but it's something that needs... Excuse me, excuse me.